0: Right, so right towards the, the back of our Bibles, the letter of First Peter, chapter one verses 13 to 21. So we've been thinking together as a church for the last number of weeks about what is the gospel, what do we believe about the gospel? and then what kind of life should that create in an individual and in a church? Last week, we thought about humility that as we think about all that Jesus has has done for us, that it should humble us and cause us to humbly seek to serve others. This week, the gospel creates holiness. So we're going to read 1 Peter 1 verse 13 to 21, and let's again hear God's word. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Amen. So as we begin, I want us to think about the life of an exile. Some of you will be very familiar with the Highland Clearances, uh, a very dark period in Scottish history in the mid-19th century uh, when people who had worked the land for generations uh, were forcibly removed uh, to make way for sheep that were more profitable. And so they were sent off on ships, off to the New World, to America and places like that. And as they went, they sang songs and they wrote poetry. And those songs and that poetry spoke of lament, lament. And it spoke of loss, the loss of a home that the vast majority of them would never, ever see again. But one of the interesting things to know about these uh, Highlanders who, who were forced to leave is that they kept, preserved their culture and their identity. They retained their language. They retained their practices. They lived as exiled Highlanders. And and pushing 200 years later, you can still find uh, communities of exiled Highlanders around the world, and they will still be speaking Gaelic and still be engaged in Highland games and the like. Peter is writing to the Christian church here, and he says to them in chapter 1 and verse 1, you are God's elect, you are exiles. So the church are, are told, you are exiles of heaven. Heaven is your true home. He was writing to a group of Christians who were, because of their faith, living on the margins of society, beginning to feel the squeeze of opposition. And so he writes this letter to encourage them to say, keep your culture and your identity. The culture of heaven. The identity that you have because you've been saved by Jesus. Set your hearts on him and live holy lives. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, when Paul writes Paul writes a letter to a different church, he reminds them in his introduction that one of the reasons Jesus came and died to save people was to make people holy. And that's what we're going to think about today. This reality that if we are a people who treasure God's saving grace, then we will care deeply to pursue holiness. Knowing that without holiness, it's impossible to see God. And just as Peter writes this letter to encourage uh, these exiles of heaven in the backdrop of their cultural chaos. So we find ourselves in the 21st century still surrounded by cultural chaos, but being called to live out our identity as citizens of heaven, to live a culture of faith and hope and love, to live in God's grace and to live out of God's truth as we find it in God's Word. And so we're going to think about this reality that one of the goals for which Jesus came and died is so that churches and Christians would be committed to the gospel of God's grace and committed to pursuing godliness and holiness. And we're going to think about what that means. This idea of being set apart for God, set apart to live in obedience to him. There are three things from our our reading in verses 13 to 21 I want to draw your attention to in thinking about um, being holy. The first is this, to be holy we need to fix our hope on Jesus. So look with me again at verse 13 where we're told, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So the verse begins with a therefore. And whenever there's a therefore, we ask what's the therefore there for? And it's there to connect us to this great section of thanksgiving that we didn't read in verses 3 to 12. But if you look with me at verse 3, begins with praise, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. And that living hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So because Jesus is alive, Christians have a living hope. And the rest of this Thanksgiving, it speaks about the promise of eternal rewards, the promise of future salvation, the reality of life with Christ. This is our living hope. And Peter then says, therefore, because these things are true, because this hope is, is real, therefore, set your hope fully on grace still to come. Set your hope on future grace. Set your hope on the return of Christ. Make the goal of your life be the desire to see Jesus and to be with Jesus and to enjoy Jesus forever. And he says them, because of the resurrection you can bank on this hope, this future hope. This isn't wishful thinking. This is certain hope based on the historic event of the resurrection. Because Jesus is alive, we have living hope. And so the question then becomes, well, what does this future hope have to do with how I live today? How does this future hope of of the return of Jesus make a difference to my life of obedience and holiness? Let's go back to verse 13, where Peter, in a sense, reminds us that holiness is a battle for the mind and for the will. Our holiness will involve right thinking. So Peter says to them, you know, therefore, wait with hope. But he also tells them to wait with minds that are alert and fully sober. Wait with hope, wait with holiness. The idea of alert is the idea of being ready for action, being ready for battle. The idea of being fully sober, the idea of thinking clearly, living self-controlled lives, recognizing the battle for holiness is a battle for our minds. Thinking about this verse, I started thinking about uh, those images that we see in the news from time to time of of when maybe a reporter goes... um, on a tour with, with, let's say, UN peacekeepers, you know, so they're in hostile territory um, and they're, they're maybe in the armored convoy. And what do you see there? You see uh, soldiers who've got their uh, bulletproof vests on, they've got their helmets on, and you see them constantly scanning the horizon. They are fully alert because they know an attack could come from any corner, from anywhere, And so for us in the battle with holiness, we need to be alert and fully sober. Jesus told a whole range of parables on that theme of be ready, be watchful, be serving, always in light of the fact that he is the king, he is the master, who will one day return and he wants to find his servants doing his will. So because we know Jesus is coming back, we are to choose the way of obedience. So as Christians, we put on the full armor of God. As Christians, we are to stay alert to temptation and spiritual attack. Some of that comes from within. That battle that rages because of our sinful nature. But also those temptations that come from outside of us. Temptations that we see in the world. Temptations that comes from the devil. We wait with hope and we wait with holiness. Our future hope, our future home In heaven, what's that going to be like? It's going to be a holy place. Heaven is a holy place. There is no sin in heaven. There is no anger in heaven. There is no jealousy in heaven. There is no pride in heaven. So if our hope is a holy place, then we're being asked to live holy lives in preparation for that. That's what Jesus has secured for us. That's what we're being prepared for. And so we're called to live holy lives. And bearing in mind that this is a battle for our mind and for our will, one of the things that we need to learn as Christians is constantly to be talking to ourselves, in the sense of preaching the gospel to ourselves. When we find ourselves in a moment of temptation, in a moment of trial, we need to talk to ourselves, to remind ourselves, Jesus is better and his reward is greater than what this temptation is offering me. When we are going through trials, we need to remember following Jesus and his reward is absolutely worth it. We need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly so that when we are faced with a decision, we're asking the question, how am I going to obey Jesus and his word in this moment? So we need to talk to ourselves if we are to pursue holiness. There's one image, and if our projectors were working, we would have have sung about Christ, our sure and steady anchor. But but think about this. If our hope anchors on something, you know, we all want our life to, to be governed by something. We're all living for something. So if our hope is anchored... And that anchor connects us to what we love most. If it ties us to that, sets the pattern for our life. One question that we always need to be asking and reflecting. Where is my hope today? Where is my hope anchored today? What's the focus for my life? And Peter is saying to us, to be holy is to have our hope fully anchored in Jesus and his grace. There'd be that gravitational pull towards him, that he would be directing the course of our lives towards love and holiness, motivated by the reality of future hope and future reward. So to be holy, we are to fix our hope on Jesus. It's thinking about our minds. To be holy, secondly, we are to fix our identity, on Jesus. This is verses 14 to 17. So again, just to think big picture for a moment, to ask the question, why did, if you're a Christian, why did God save you? If you're not a Christian, why would God save you? What would be his purpose in saving you? Why does God in the gospel take an an enemy of God, somebody deserving of God's wrath, Why does God send His Son Jesus to die for us, to take God's wrath for us, to reconcile us to Himself, to justify us, to adopt us into His family? Why does He do it? Again, to go back to the book of Ephesians, in part to make us holy. We have a new life and we have a new identity. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. If you turn over a page, you will find this wonderful description used of the Old Testament believer, used of the New Testament believer. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light totally transformed identity to reflect to display the glory of God to draw others to him so think about this for a first century Christian so all of the 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 folks that Peter is writing to so if he's writing to uh, people who've recently become followers of Jesus from a Jewish background they are absolutely outsiders in their community they're not believing that the law saves them they're not doing the same rituals they're not using the food laws in the same way perhaps But if he's writing to people who've been saved and they're from a Roman background, they're also outsiders in Roman culture because they're not saying Caesar's Lord, they're saying Jesus is Lord. They're not worshipping a whole bunch of different idols, they're worshipping the one true and living God through Jesus, his son. And so they are beginning to feel the weight of being outsiders to be pushed to the margins. This is part of the cost of discipleship. And some of us know this. Perhaps if we're the only Christian in our family. Perhaps we're Christians from a, a part of the world where it's very difficult to be a follower of Jesus. And so we feel the weight of this. So the question then is this, well, why, why be holy if it's going to mean things like mockery? Uh, if it's going to mean that um, the faith that we have is going to be misunderstood? If perhaps it's going to mean Missing out on certain things, missing out on certain friendships, missing out on certain promotions, perhaps. Or to go even more extreme and to think about people all around the world. Why be holy if it means being sent to prison? Why be holy if it means uh, your whole family and community want nothing to do, do with you and, in fact, would like to kill you? Why be holy? And so Peter wants to encourage a group of believers who are feeling the weight of that and what he wants to encourage them with is to remember their true identity saying to them be who you truly are in christ so let's see how he says that what's our identity as christians peter says in verse 14 you are obedient children as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance but just as he has called you as holy so be holy in all you do. That's who we're called to be. Obedient children living holy lives because the Father who called us is holy. So we read earlier in Leviticus, and Leviticus 19 verse two be holy because I am holy is something of a motto verse in the book of Leviticus. So the Old Testament Israelites, they were chosen by God's grace, They were set apart among the nations to be his people, to live lives of worship and obedience. And because they were God's people, and because God is holy, they were told to be holy. And the same is absolutely true of the church in every age and generation. It's made plain in in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. And so because that's true, Peter says in verse 14, we are no longer to conform to our evil desires. Why? Because that's no longer who we truly are. So, so we don't get comfortable with sin anymore. And we don't let the world squeeze us into its mold. Rather, we show sin no mercy. And we determine to live in faith and obedience. So Peter says to them, you know, just as, as children physically share the characteristics of their parents for better or for worse, just as children learn by copying, and just as we expect children to take on the family values that they've been brought up in, so it is in God's family. Our God is a holy Father. His children must be holy. That is an essential family value within God's church. Sometimes we ask the question, and it's an important question, what's the will of God for my life? Well, again, Paul cuts through a lot of that confusion in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, when he says, it is God's will that you be sanctified, that you be set apart, and that you live holy lives. It's God's desire for his children. Verse 17 Uh, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So just as Jesus, our elder brother, lived his life determined at every point to honor his father and to obey his commands and to fear God rather than live with the fear of man and to follow the law of love at every turn, so he sets a pattern for us as his brothers and sisters in the church. So we understand that when my identity is shaped by Jesus, that has implications for how I live and act and speak. I want to please my Father in heaven. I want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Remembering Jesus is our Savior, but not just our Savior. He is also our role model. He shows us what holiness looks like. And we're reminded in, in verses seventeen in verse seventeen that when I fear and honour my Father in heaven, it's his judgment of me that counts. It's his opinion of me that counts. He is the one whose approval I want to live for, and, and by extension that means living as a foreigner in the world, because this world is not our true home. So to be holy, we need to fix our identity on who we truly are. And so we need to, again, Learn to talk to ourselves. Who am I? You know, there are so many voices in our culture that want to tell us who we are. As Christians, we need to hear God speak in his word, saying to us, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. If you are in Christ, you're a child of God. If you are in Christ, you are saved to be holy. And do we see how this matters then for our everyday life? So Leviticus 19, see how comprehensive God's view of holiness is. Our words, our actions, our relationships, our workplace, our sense of justice and mercy and care for the poor. All wrapped up in the reality that I'm an obedient child of God and so I want to live his way. So we pursue holiness, Peter says, so that we can honour our Holy Father. But we also choose holiness for the sake of our mission. We could go back to 1 Peter 2 verse 9 for a moment where he tells tells him, this is who you are, this is how you are to live, so that you may declare God's praises. For the sake of the world who is watching, we need to show people truly what is God like. Is Jesus good and true? We also remember the words of the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And after talking about baptizing people, he said, teaching them to observe and to obey all that I have commanded. So obedience and holiness is built into... Our life as disciples, God wants the world to know Jesus and to believe in Jesus and to obey Jesus. And so we have to encourage one another to obey Jesus and we have to show others in our obedience, in our love, the goodness and the beauty of our God. We are, in a very real way, I think, the lens through which the gospel is going to be read. People are going to look at Jesus through the lens of our character, our lives. And and that's something we need to think about when it comes to our holiness as a church and as Christians. Finally, to be holy, having fixed our hope on Jesus and fixed our identity on Jesus, to be holy, we need to fix our heart on Jesus. So so here's a question. Whenever we're thinking about holiness... It's really important to think, how am I going to avoid that stereotype of holiness that really puts people off, that comes across as really critical and judgmental, where it's all about a long list of of do's and don'ts, or where it just seems like dull duty. How can we actually love the idea of holiness? How can we see that it's good news for us? How can we make it seem beautiful to others? It's a really important question. And the answer is only by the power of the gospel, it's only because Jesus has come to bring this wonderful redemption. And it's only as we fix our hearts on what Jesus has done for us and continues to do for us that we'll be empowered and motivated towards holiness and obedience. So let's look at verse 18. First of all, to notice something that we are redeemed from. What does Jesus redeem us from? For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. You've been redeemed from an empty way of life. So that's either, so thinking about this background here, that's either a group of Christians who've been saved out of a Roman background and they've been saved from the false worship of of idols and empty sacrifices, or there's folks from a Jewish background and they've been saved from a religion based entirely on law. Do this, do that, and if you do well enough, maybe God will be pleased. And what Peter says is he cuts through either of those and says that they're both empty. Any attempt to be holy and good enough by ourselves for a holy God will never be enough. And so he's rescuing us here from a temptation. So we hear we need, we need to be more holy. He's saving us simply from saying, okay, what I need to do is I need to roll my sleeves up. I need more willpower. I need more resolution. The, the reality is what we need to be holy is we need spiritual resurrection, Nothing short of that will empower or lead to holiness. So we're redeemed from an empty way of life and we are redeemed by something. First of all, I want want us to notice that we're redeemed by or in line with the eternal plan of God. Look at verse 20, having spoken about Jesus as the lamb without blemish or defect, we're told he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So just to remind us that in the eternal plan, the eternal will of God, Jesus, the sinless Son of God, was chosen to be a saviour for unholy, unfaithful, unwilling sinners like us. And then, in the fullness of God's time, he was revealed In the last times, he was revealed in verse 21 as the Savior to believe in, that because he has died and he has been raised again and God has glorified him, we believe in him and our faith and our hope are in God. So we're redeemed by or according to God's eternal plan of salvation. That's a wonderful privilege. And we've been redeemed, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ. In the evenings, we've been thinking about the book of Exodus, and we get to the Passover. We'll be there in a couple of weeks. That's a powerful picture. So so God announces that judgment is going to come upon Egypt, but there is a way for Israel to be spared the judgment, and that's through this Passover lamb, this pure lamb that is to be looked after, and then it is to be killed, and the blood is to be sprinkled so that on the night when the judgment of God passes through Egypt and falls on Egypt, it will pass over the houses of Israel. Why? Not because they were sinless and perfect, but because the judgment has fallen on the Passover lamb. The lamb has died so they might be redeemed. The lamb has been the sacrifice, uh, who has taken sin, who has turned away the anger of God, so that God's people might go free. That's a wonderful picture of what Jesus does for us on the cross. Jesus takes the judgment of God so we might be forgiven and set free, and set free to become that kingdom of priests to become that holy nation, to become that people who who don't live for ourselves. Rather, we live for the glory of God, the one who loved us and gave his son for us. And so it becomes clear then that to be holy, we must first be born again. We need the saving work of God through Jesus in our hearts and lives. So we need to come to Jesus. And then to live these holy lives we must fix our hearts on Jesus again to preach the gospel into our hearts every day so that we be pursuing holiness and obedience not as a sense of dull duty not thinking we need to work hard enough to earn it but because we are children of grace and because of a profound sense of gratitude for what God has done in sending Jesus to be our saviour. So as we draw this to conclusion, let's ask ourselves a question. Am I ready to live as an exile? Am I ready to choose the way of holiness? So I was thinking about this, this week, you know, thinking about... Um, those highlanders setting sail in their boats, you know, having bidden a tearful farewell to those few who remain behind and, and seeing the, the land sort of pass uh, on the horizon, they would all have been faced with a choice. You know, knowing you're heading to the new world, you've got a choice. You can, you know, move on. You can forget the old ways. Maybe the new ways are better. Or, this is what so many of them did, They can constantly hear the call of home and they'll protect their culture and they'll treasure their sense of identity even as they live as exiles. You and I are called to our own choice today and every day. First of all, to hear the call of the gospel, to hear the voice of Jesus calling us away, calling us out of empty ways, calling us out of those evil desires so that we would receive his redemption would receive his rescue from our slavery from sin that we be changed from the inside out so that we would live as a child of god and a citizen of heaven and then we're called then to live out the culture of the gospel to take seriously our call to be obedient children not just in some of life, but in all of life. Not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. Following Jesus' pattern of love, walking in the footsteps of Jesus, our elder brother, guided by God's word to recognize how to obey. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let him be our hope. Let him be the one our life is centered on. Let our hearts be fixed on him so that we would truly live as exiles of heaven. Let's pray together once again. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful privilege that by faith in Jesus, we can live as obedient children, that we can dare to call you Father Lord, thank you for reminding us uh, that your call to save us also comes with a call to live holy and obedient lives. Lord, we recognize how often we are inconsistent. We recognize how uh, easy we can find it to to ignore uh, those parts of your word that that challenge us or, or make us feel uncomfortable. Lord, we pray Uh, that you would fix our eyes on Jesus, that he would be our saviour, he would be our pattern, that we'd be reading your word, that the Spirit would be guiding us to know what obedience looks like day by day. Lord, that we would want to honour and fear you as our Father, that we'd want to display your glory and your goodness in our lives, that we'd want our church uh, to be a place marked by genuine holiness. Not by a, a legalistic set of rules and regulations or a sense of dull duty, but a sense of living joy because we have a living hope that our holiness would be a living one following the, the way of Jesus and his way of love. And uh, we pray in Jesus' name that you would help us so that we might glorify you. Amen.